I'm a joyful member here at Redemption Church, and I will be reading today's passage of scripture from Psalm chapter 10. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is God's word for us today. Amen. Amen. Well, before we get started this morning, I need to uh, just confess a, a little sin. Uh, as we were worshiping the Lord and uh, winding down and just getting time for Pastor Danny to do the announcements, <clears throat> I thought to myself, I wonder if he remembers that he's supposed to do the announcements. And then I confess, I got a little excited, kind of hoping that he didn't remember, <laughs> because I have this way of kind of rolling, kind of doing my own thing that, as you know, that has caused some problems in the past. And then <clears throat> I felt bad about that, but then I got really excited when he forgot the mic. How can anybody forget the mic up here? He did. Pastor Danny did. He's fallible. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. <clears throat> well, what a pleasure and a privilege it is to be able to preach this morning Psalm 10. Psalm 10. It's believed that Psalm 10 was written by David in its original Hebrew language because it was a continuation of Psalm 9. 
And the reason you may notice that there's no heading or uh, attribution to uh, authorship in our Bibles, it's because it was separated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And this psalm can easily be divided into four sections. Section one is found in verse one, which is David's burden in form of a question. And then verses 2 through 11, he presents his cause, the reason for this burden. And then in verses 12 through 15, he makes this plea to God to do something. And lastly, and most important, and most encouraging, is uh, his resolve, in which we find our claim this morning, which is that God has a plan. God has a plan. Now, no, notice the burden <clears throat> that is on David's heart. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And I think it's safe to say that at one time or another, in each of our lives, we have asked these questions. God, where are you? Are you listening? Do you hear my prayers? Do you see my tears? Do you even care? And I know just through, through being aware of circumstances in our church body, I know that some of you this morning are asking that question. I know some of you are nodding your heads in agreement at this very moment because we know that there are times in life when things are burdensome when afflictions come and seem to rob us of our joy. When you read Psalm 9, which would have been the first part of this psalm, it's clear that David has an intimate relationship with the Lord. He trusts him. He knows that he's eternal and that he cares. And yet, as we move into, chapter, into Psalm 9, we see that there's this burden as it relates to what he sees going on around him. How it seems that the wicked who could care less seem to be flourishing. And in the verses that follow, David describes the cause of this burden. And he's describing the wicked who could care less about God. Have you ever felt that way? You're just plugging along. Lord, I'm doing right by you. I'm praying. I'm reading the word. I'm working hard to provide for my family. I'm serving in church. I'm striving to be a good husband and father. And while I struggle, I see so many people around me who could give a rip about you. And they just coast along, causing trouble, lying and cheating, taking advantage of others. And you stand far away, and you hide yourself. In verses 2 through 11, David describes such people as wicked and arrogant, taking advantage of those who are less fortunate. He asks that they would be caught in the schemes they devise. They boast of the desires, the desires of their souls, and in their greed they curse and they renounce the Lord. They proudly do not seek God. In fact, all of their thoughts are there is no God. And yet at all times, they prosper 
and your judgments remain out of their sight. They scoff at those who oppose them, insisting generation after generation, I shall not be moved, I shall not meet adversity. Their speech is filled with cursing, deceit, and oppression, always looking for ways to take advantage of the weak and helpless, even to the point of murdering the innocent. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might, saying in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And as I look around today, as I listen to the news, as we read about all of the wickedness that abounds today, I can begin to wonder why God isn't doing something. I worry for my grandchildren. And at the rate things are going, I can't imagine how much worse is it going to get which can lead me to thinking, what happened to the good old days? Some of you may be asking yourself that. What happened to the good old days? You know, the days, I think back to when I watched sitcoms that were funny and they were clean and so wholesome that even TV moms and dads slept in twin beds so as not to appear suggestive. I was born in 1953. A baby boomer. Any baby boomers out there? Yeah, see, most of us are gone now. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> and there was this sitcom that ran, and it was called Father Knows Best. I remember because I had a crush on the teenage daughter. The Internet describes the show this way. The popular radio show comes to life in this hit sitcom about a wise family man, Jim Anderson, his common-sense wife, Margaret, and their children, Betty, Bud, and Kathy. Whenever the kids need advice on anything at all, they can always turn to their father because father knows best. Now, I used to believe that there is so much more wickedness today than there was when I was growing up, but it isn't true. It isn't true at all. You see... We simply didn't have the technology and the social media to bring it out from behind closed doors and make it public. It was easier to pretend everyone was wholesome. I remember along with some of you, Friday, November 22, 1963, I was in fifth grade, nothing unusual about the day for me, walking home from Southridge Elementary School for lunch, and I walked through the front door, and my mom's sitting on the couch, and she'd been crying. And she told me, President Kennedy's been shot. The world seemed to stand still. And two days later, on black and white TV, I watched live with my family while Lee Harvey Oswald, the assassin, was being transported from the Dallas, Texas Police Department, and he was murdered. Live TV, shot in the stomach by Jack Ruby, a member of the mafia who owned a strip club. I recently listened to the audiobook Killing Kennedy by Bill O'Reilly, and what an eye-opener that book was, hearing of all the wicked things that were happening in the White House, the corruption in politics, connection to organized crime, the entertainers who were involved in all of the shenanigans with President Kennedy. Wickedness has been rampant since the fall. 
And as Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, said, all things are full of weariness. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. I would encourage you to take some time this week and read 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you didn't know that that was written 2,000 years ago, you would believe it was a commentary on all that is going on today. Every time I read it, the words, having a form of godliness but denying its power, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth, speaks to so many people today. It speaks to how we once were. And this is what makes Psalm 10 so encouraging and so applicable to us today. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Look at all the wickedness around us. And they could care less about us. They could care less about you. They could care less about Christ. And they keep boasting of their conquest. Look down at verse 12. And we see the plea of David. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. David here is appealing to the Lord to do something. Arise, literally, stand up, come about, as if to say, come out of hiding. Do something about what's going on. Verse 13, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, he's pointing out, you see what's going on. You note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself to you. You've been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Lord, you know all things. You see all things. And yet you do nothing. In fact, it only gets worse. It is true. God knows all things. He sees all things, and he will do something. And this is the essence of the psalm. If there's anything we take from this morning, it is that God knows what he's doing, that God has a plan. And while it may seem like he isn't doing anything, And the wicked are getting away with things, pulling the wool over the eyes of the Lord. It isn't true. God has a plan. And we can be confident and comforted by the fact that God, our Heavenly Father, knows best. And what is God's plan? Have you ever heard, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Well, it is true that God loves us. And it is true that God has a wonderful eternal plan for our lives. 
But I was in Target yesterday, and I noticed a young boy with his brother and his mother, and the boy didn't have any arms. And I was struck by that. I was heavy-hearted by that. And I thought this morning, how do you say to him, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? How often have we read or quoted or tried to encourage someone we care about with Jeremiah 29.11? Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But I find a problem in that we quite often use it out of context, trying to fit the verse into our agenda, when the context of the verse is that it was spoken in a time that was quite wicked, everything but hopeful. The Israelites, God's chosen people, were taken into Babylonian captivity and would remain for 70 years. Jeremiah, the prophet, is sent to warn the pagan nation that judgment was coming and to encourage the captives to not listen to the false prophets, which God did not send. And the future and the hope that God was speaking of was that he would bring them back to their homeland, out of exile, back to their homeland, the nation he had promised them all along. And two chapters later in Jeremiah 31, we read this. Look with me. I put it on a slide for you. Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them <clears throat> to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The day for forgiveness of sin has come through Jesus Christ, who was crucified to pay the penalty for our sins and has prepared a place in heaven for each of us who have put our trust and our faith in the death and resurrection of Christ. This was God's plan all along. And there's more. The best news of all is the resolve that's found in the remaining three verses of Psalm 10, from which we observe five magnificent truths. And this is the heart of the psalm. They are every bit as valid as they were when David wrote them, and in some respects, even more so, in that we have the fulfillment and assurance through Jesus Christ, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, who has given to us the guarantee of our salvation and eternal place and rest in heaven. Look in your Bibles at verse 16. And he says, the Lord is king forever and ever. 
So the first thing we can hold on to in the midst of the wickedness in the world is our king is forever and ever. You see, our world is so small. It's all we know. But the Lord would have us understand that he is so big. If we're not careful, we can limit God, and we forget that he is in control. How many of you have seen some of the images of the universe uh, that were recently published because of the new telescope? Any of you have seen those? I would encourage you to look up the James Webb Space Telescope. These are spectacular images that are taken from a telescope that is positioned a million miles from the Earth. And when you look at these pictures, your mind cannot grasp what you're even looking at. And people uh, are praising the accomplishment of mankind, which is indeed great, but they fail to see that those who created the telescope and the ability to see the images were themselves created, image bearers of God. And they call it a singular and historic moment. I want you to just look with me at at this compilation of just some of the quotes. I've kind of put them all together about the event. And these were NASA representatives. Today we present humanity with a groundbreaking new view of the cosmos, a view the world has never seen before. These images will help to uncover the answers to questions we don't even yet know to ask. Questions that will help us better understand our universe and humanity's place within it. We take dreams and turn them into reality for the benefit of humanity. These first images show us how much we can accomplish when we come together behind a shared goal to solve the cosmic mysteries that connect us all. It's a stunning glimpse of the insights yet to come. Now, I didn't need to see those images or read that article to be wowed because every time I open my Bible, I see a divine understanding of our universe and humanity's place in it, and God spoke it all into existence. Wow. We mustn't get caught up in finding out that we blew the engine of our car just a car. You get through it and understand that God spoke all things into existence and he has a plan. Look at these words of Peter. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, happened to be before his execution. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago 
And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, kept being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, always learning and never able to acknowledge, to, to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Dear friends, God is king forever and ever. Amen. And secondly, God hears the desires of the afflicted. Verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. We must trust, no matter what our circumstances may be, <clears throat> that God hears the desires of our heart. It is hard to believe when we are in the middle of an affliction, whether it be emotional or physical or spiritual. Remember when Jesus was sending the 12 disciples out to spread the gospel, he warned them that they were going to be persecuted, that they were going to experience great affliction from the wicked. But to not be afraid, he encouraged them, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. We can take to heart the truth that there isn't anything that is going on in our lives that God isn't aware of, and in fact, that he isn't ordaining. And this is why we can count on the truth that in the end, all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And as we'll see in a moment, <clears throat> there is an ultimate purpose to which Christians are called to, and it is our eternal habitation with Christ. Our God is king forever and ever. Our God hears the desires of the afflicted, and verse 17 continues, our God strengthens the heart of the afflicted. Are you feeling that affliction today? He wants to strengthen your hearts. Church, we must delight in the Lord. No matter what afflictions we may be going through, trusting and knowing that it is in tribulation in the affliction that we experience God's strength and greater intimacy with the Lord. Hang on to the words of Paul and what he said about the affliction he was experiencing, unresolved, after pleading with the Lord for relief, and Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was keenly aware of this spiritual truth, which prompted him to boast all the more confidently in his weaknesses so that he might experience the power of Christ. He concluded, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then, through Christ, I am strong. 
I like what Charles Spurgeon said on the slide. <clears throat> the presence of God is the joy of his people, but any suspicion of his absence is distracting beyond measure. Let us then remember that the refiner is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. And the Son of God is always walking in the midst of the flames when his holy children are cast into them. We mustn't put our confidence <clears throat> in how we feel, but rather in faith, we must put our confidence in what we know to be true about God. And at the heart of what we know is that we once were dead in sin, and now through faith, we are alive in Christ, and daily we experience his mercy and his grace, thereby escaping his judgment. Our worrying about things this side of heaven subside when we do as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Our God is king forever and ever. Our God hears the desires of the afflicted. Our God strengthens the hearts of the afflicted. And our God will do justice to the afflicted. <clears throat> Verse 17 continues, You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. God is going to take care of those who are afflicted this side of heaven. Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthians, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And God is going to deal with the wicked. That is not our concern, no matter how unfair we may think it is. Romans 12 tells us, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Take some time this week to read the sober words of Paul in 2 Thessalonians where he gives a very clear explanation of what is to come for those who reject Christ and insist there is no God. So what is he waiting for? What is he waiting for and why is he taking so long? Well, look at these words from Peter. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, as the Lord tarries, it's, it's an opportunity for more people to come to repentance, more people to come to faith in Christ. We have the opportunity to share Christ with more people. He goes on to say, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Which leads perfectly to the fifth and final truth we see about God, the best and the most encouraging. It may not be in our lifetime or the next generation's lifetime or even longer, but as Peter said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, the Lord is not bound by time. He is forever and ever. He is timeless. Number five, our God will bring a permanent end to the terror. He will bring a permanent end to the terror. Verse 18, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. You know, we actually got a little hint of that in the latter part of verse 15 when he says, Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. People, there is a day coming when there will be no more wickedness. That's what we read in the call to worship when John writes about the new heaven and the new earth that he saw where every tear will be wiped from the eyes and death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying or pain. No more former things have passed away. And, and what it goes on to say, and he who is seated on the throne, Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. They're trustworthy and they're true. We can count on him. And if there's anything we need today, it's something we can count on. Amen? We can count on these words. They are trustworthy, and they are true. I have a good friend. Um, how many, have any of you ever heard of Bloodgood? Have you ever heard of the, the, the Christian metal band Bloodgood? Any of you ever heard that? Okay. Well, check it out on, on, on the website. I mean, but how many of you have heard of Striper? God bless you, Eddie. God bless you. Whew. Man, it's rough. I got to learn a whole new vocabulary just to... Whew. So anyway, blood good. They, they were, back in the day, they were a heavy metal Christian band. And uh, Mike Bloodgood uh, was a friend of mine, and we co-pastored. Um, we were associate pastors at a church a number of years ago in Washington State. And that, that brother kept it real to the bitter end. I mean, the long hair, the, the clothes. I mean, he was a rocker uh, till his very last uh, breath. And uh, he was, uh, about five months ago, he was doing a concert in Ohio. And that night he had a hemorrhagic stroke, which caused a brain bleed. And 
they, they put him in a coma. He was actually making progress. And I just heard um, yesterday that, that he had died. And I thought, Here, here's a guy full of life, full of energy, loved the Lord, uh, three children, grandchildren, married for 46 years. Uh, he just does what he loves doing, playing music for Christ. And he has a stroke. Five months later, he dies. Three months younger than I am. And he's in heaven. He's in heaven. He's in the presence of the Lord because Jesus said these, these words are trustworthy and they are true. And none of us know how much time we have. And while we wait for the Lord to return, often in the midst of affliction, watching the wicked prosper, we can take confidence in the truths of what David tells us, that our king is forever and ever, that he hears the desires of the afflicted. He strengthens the heart of the afflicted. He'll do justice to the afflicted, and he will bring a permanent end to the terror. And I want to leave you with two invaluable things that you can do while pressing through the affliction with the, without the distractions of looking at others' disregard for God. Number one, be still. Be still and know that He is God, as it says in Psalm 46. Stop and be still long enough to know God. Let Him speak to you. Let him encourage you and convict you and pour out his grace upon you. And number two, hold fast. Hold fast to the Lord. As Moses is preparing the Israelites to enter into the promised land, he writes, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's 20,000 years. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. God's words, his commandments must be our sustenance. Jesus said we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Take some time this week to read Psalm 119, 176 verses expressing the importance and the value of God's word. Here's just a little sample for you. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. After Mary gave birth to Jesus, Luke tells us that she treasured up all of the things that had taken place 
and no doubt what it all meant and pondered them in her heart. I love that word ponder. It suggests a conversation with ourselves while allowing God to listen and interject his thoughts. These, my friends, are times of treasuring and pondering the truths found in God's word while being still and holding fast.